Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12 and 38 through 48. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12 and 38 through 48. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way you persecuted the prophets who were before you. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Gabriel. Good morning. As I was praying on the way here, uh, maybe God took the the prayer literally uh, in sending the rain, right? <laughs> on the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, we'll see, right? Um, As we begin this morning, uh, we look at this uh, quote or we look at this phrase uh, that we are lifting up this morning. I like Jesus, but, and sometimes that's a big but. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes we, uh, like as last week, sometimes we have questions. And this week we're going to dive into the statement, I like Jesus, but I don't like what he said. All throughout the Gospels, there are these uh, high standards that Jesus puts in place, which uh, tell us about what the kingdom of God is like and how it ought to be with our relationship with God and with others. Really, Jesus? You want me to do what? This morning, as we unpack that and Jesus's sermon on the mount, I want to invite us to enter into a time of prayer. Holy and living God, we give you thanks uh, for the rain that uh, nourishes us and helps us to be reminded of our baptism, how we are claimed and nurtured in, with, and through you, your Son, and your Spirit. And so, God, as we gather this day, may we be reminded of that, that we are your beloved. 
And so, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, you are our rock and our redeemer. And together, all of God's people said, Amen. Back when I was a a wee little boy in the 1990s, and some of you are like, oh, man. Listen, I've tried to get some just for men to put in the gray, uh, but that was my last church. Anyways, back in the 1990s, when I was at my home church, I would often be in acolyte for Sunday morning worship. And there was this older gentleman who every week he would serve as the head usher. He even had the name badge, Rick Radcliffe. And I've been practicing that name 20,000 times this morning so I could get it right. Rick Radcliffe. And then underneath his name, it said head usher. He wore that badge prestigiously and happily. And so every morning, every Sunday morning, as he would get the kids ready to light the candles on the altar, bring in and process in the light of Christ, he would tell them after he lit the taper, have fun. One Sunday morning, as I was getting ready to be the acolyte, when I was a a wee boy, I got the taper off of the wall and I went to, to Rick Radcliffe and I took that taper to him and they They gave me the great honor of fire in church. Um, It really is a great honor to, to play with fire in church, but you'll hear more about that in a little bit. But as he gave me the flame of Christ to process into to worship and light the candles on the altar, he told me that statement that he told to acolytes hundreds, numerous before. He said, have fun. One of the other ushers leaned over to him and said, Rick, seriously, why do you say that week after week after week? How much fun could they really have as they process in in a minute and 45 seconds and bring that flame in as the light of Christ? How much fun could they really have? Well, Rick responded and he said, it's fun being a Christian. Sometimes, right? Sometimes I'm glad that Rick has given us the approval to laugh and to play and to eat and to sing and to find great pleasure in God's creation and the community of faith. But sometimes I don't think Rick had a clue at all. Sometimes it's not fun being a Christian. Sometimes there is no pleasure that we find in being one of those Jesus people. Sometimes we find ourselves in places and among folks and are called to say and to be about things that are not popular nor fun and might even be deadly. This morning we focus our attention on Jesus and our all too complicated relationship with what he said, his teachings. Here in Matthew's gospel, we begin his sermon on the mount, which by the way is three chapters long. Five, Matthew six, Matthew seven, Matthew, and I promise not to be that long this morning. Jesus' focus in this sermon is to expand and expound upon what it means to be a follower of Christ and also a perception that we have in what it is in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and how it really functions. Up to this point in Jesus' ministry, uh, all throughout as it's contained in Matthew's gospel, he was called, right? He was birthed, but then he went to the Jordan River and was baptized by John the baptizer. He went into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days. He called his disciples. He began the ministry within the crowds and Jesus' fame spread like wildfire. He was healing people. He was curing their diseases and their ailments. And more people came to witness this miraculous power. Up to this point for Jesus, he didn't say or do anything confrontational. 
It was a non-confrontational start to his ministry. He didn't go against the grain. He didn't go against the standards of society or the religious norms of that day. He didn't even speak out in opposition to the Roman Empire. The most confrontational and the most controversial statement that Jesus said up to this point in Matthew's gospel was repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But that wasn't the new thing to say. That wasn't a unique thing for Jesus to proclaim because all throughout the prophets we hear in Micah, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and Jonah, all of them say the same thing. In one way or another, they say, repent from your ways and turn to the kingdom ways. Turn to God's ways. So how is Jesus any different? Well, Jesus healed people. None of the prophets before him had brought out the healing that they needed or brought about that healing. More people flocked to Jesus than any other prophet to witness his miraculous power. And so as Jesus was Surrounded by a crowd of people, he began to teach. He began to teach things how it was in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and how we need to repent and how the kingdom of God really functions. I'm certain there were people in the crowd at that day when Jesus was teaching that said or maybe even thought that statement that we hear so often. I like Jesus, but I don't like what he said. You know, I really liked that Jesus guy, but then when he opened his mouth, he lost me. Once he started to infringe on what I believe and how I live, you know, he lost me. Once he started to infringe on my way of living, my beliefs, my priorities, and he called that all into question, nah, I've had enough. The kingdom of God is like, what? No, I have to do what in order to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? I have to do what to be a child of God, Jesus? You have lost your mind. Jesus begins this sermon on the mount as we know it as the Beatitudes with those nine statements. And each statement is rather jarring. And if you haven't opened up your Bibles yet, Matthew chapter 5 or open it up in the Bible app. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who righteous uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, those who are pure in heart. Blessed are you when people revile you and when you are persecuted. Jesus, you can't be serious. On the surface, we hear and we read these statements as a reassuring promise, right? Jesus is telling us that when we find ourselves in those situations and those circumstances, that is not all there is, and there is more to come, and we're good with that side of the Beatitudes, because there's something to focus on, there's something to look forward to, but what we have an issue with is the other side of the Beatitudes. We have a hard time with that other aspect We want the gift of Christ. We want the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We want that righteous feeling, the mercy, the the comfort, without having to go through those seasons of depravity and destitution. But Jesus never promised that following him or what it means to be a heir or a citizen in the kingdom of God, never promised that that was going to be easy. In those seasons when we are at the beginning of that segment of those statements, when we find ourselves poor in spirit, when we find ourselves in mourning and hungry and thirsty for righteousness, we will be able to recognize that we need to utterly depend on God throughout it all. 
this teaching from Jesus sounds really counterintuitive, doesn't it? Frankly, that's because it is. It's counter to our human nature and our perception. 8.15 didn't respond, and I want to invite you to respond if you want to. We're all normal people, right? Yeah? Yeah? Somewhat? Okay, yeah, yeah. Normal people do not find any motivation in being or becoming poor in spirit, do we? Or mournful. Or when we have to recognize our own shortcomings and our own failures. But that's what Christ has called us to be. We need to recognize our own sinfulness and our own, our own shortcomings in order to claim that gift of Jesus Christ. The Beatitudes don't only send a jolt to our minds, but to our hearts as well. And when we fully recognize and understand that Jesus is calling us to be fully dependent on him and focus on the kingdom priorities and have that kingdom mentality, well, then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is a breeze and the rest of the teachings of Jesus are a breeze. But too often do we have other kingdoms in our focus. Too often do we have other priorities. We like the Jesus that is full of love and of grace. But once he starts infringing on us, when what we want and what we desire and what we want to happen in our lives, then we've had enough. We're drawn to those instances throughout scripture and those stories where Jesus condemns the actions of those who are ostracizing other as long as we are not the ones on the side of condemnation, right? If we're honest with ourselves, which we're in church, right? We should be honest. If we're honest with ourselves, the condemnation of someone else feeds our desires for superiority. It feeds that oppositional mindset that there is an us versus them. And that's not what Jesus is doing, though, by condemning the actions of others that are standing in the way of the kingdom. Because what Jesus is doing is he's showing that there is another way. That the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of this world. That there is a different way. And that God's ways are one way and our ways are another. The way that it is in the kingdom of God that is unlike the kingdom of this world is where the excluded are included, where the least, the last, and the lost are made first and most and included. Jesus' teachings are counter to our human nature. Jesus held a plumb line, if you will, to our relationship with God and our relationship with others and said, this is how it should be. The Beatitudes are one thing. They're those proverbial-like statements where there is a condition and a result, right? You are here, but soon you will be here. They're almost seasonal, those things that we go through when we need to be mourning, right? When we need to be comforted, we are entering into a season of mourning. But then Jesus continues in 5.38. He starts teaching on situations and encounters that are all too real and that we do experience on a daily basis. Jesus says, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, do not resist an evil person, pray for those who persecute you, go the extra mile. How are we supposed to do that, Jesus? Are you serious? How do we live out that truth? How do we do that? And how could we do that in this world where we're supposed to be living this out, where there is real danger in the world? 
And Jesus launches into a two back-to-back teachings on the, the Levitical law. He says, you've heard it said before, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then the other statement, which is not in the Levitical law, but it was a Levitical understanding. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's how we really act most of the time. We would rather that retaliation, right? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Or we would rather exclude those who are different than us. Jesus is saying, that's not the way it is in the kingdom. That's not what I say to you. What I say to you is, turn the other cheek. And in that statement, it's almost saying, well, you know what? Let them slap you again. Which we have an issue with, right? That's not happening. I'm not turning the other cheek. I'll show you which cheek I'm going to offer them. That was supposed to be funny. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Jesus continues on. He says, go the extra mile. Don't resist the evil person. Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you and insult you and betray you. Yeah, Jesus, it would be great if everyone acted like that. It would be great if everyone lived love at that level. But guess what, Jesus? You are out of touch with this world. That's not how the world functions. That's not what you have really experienced in this world. You are doing and telling us something that is downright dangerous and foolish and unrealistic. Does it really make sense to love your enemies, to not resist an evil person, to turn the other cheek and to go the extra mile? Does it? We all know in this world you have to fight, right? You've got to stand up for yourself. In this world, you don't want to be a doormat or a punching bag. And this Jesus that is teaching this message seems to be out of touch. How? How are we supposed to live in the way of Jesus and how he calls us to live? How can we live in the world like Jesus tells us to in a world that is full of oppression and hate and evil and injustice? How can we do that even when our enemies are dangerous and deadly towards us? And here's the thing. Jesus intends us to take this teaching very, very seriously. But he doesn't always intend for us to take these teachings to the literal extreme. Jesus was the son of God, right? The son of man, fully human, fully divine, and he was full of wisdom and truth. But Jesus came to this earth as a first century rabbi. And what he used and employed as a first century rabbi were the teachings and the tools of a first century rabbi. And those teachings and tools were the parables, right? Using modern day language, those things that we would be accustomed to, those things that are surrounding us that day. But he also used the technique of what's called a hyperbole. Using extravagant, outlandish things in order to make us get the point, to help us to understand It's meant to make a memorable point, an exaggerated statement, an overstatement, meant to make you think, to be provocative. And hyperboles are meant to be taken seriously, but not necessarily meant to be taken literally. It's a both and. There's a level of spiritual maturity that you have to be at in order to understand the difference. But I want to invite you to think about modern day hyperboles. When you came in this morning, if I said it was raining cats and dogs, what would you say? Yeah, it was literally raining cats and dogs out there. Was it? Oh, I heard a cat right over there. No, it wasn't really raining cats and dogs. What about, I'm so hungry. It's almost breakfast time. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. 
Is horse on the menu for you this afternoon? No. (laughs) That's a hyperbole. What about, uh, it's so hot, not today obviously, it's so hot I could fry an egg on the sidewalk. Have you ever tried to do that? You have. How did it work out? It didn't work, right? What about on your dashboard of your car? It's so hot I could fry an egg. No, it's a hyperbole. What about in your interactions with your kids or your grandkids or your, your cousins when you are frustrated, irritated when they won't clean up their room? Kids, sorry. I usually, you know, we're usually in the same boat, but not today. When you are irritated and when you're frustrated, when you say, I've told you a million times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've literally probably told them a million times unless you're not keeping track, which last night, let me tell you, go to sleep, Xavier. Maybe close to 500,000, but we'll, we'll get there. Maybe today. It's a new day. Jesus used this technique to tell us about what the kingdom of God is really like, to use outlandish, extravagant statements to to grab our attention, to make us take it seriously, but not technically, literally. Jesus' statements were to overstate his point, to make us think, to, to jolt us, to get us to think about what it is like in the kingdom of God. But we have a hard time deciphering the two, right? If it comes from the mouth of Jesus, we need to take it seriously, yes? And we think that we need to take it literally. Well, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Most of you have two eyes this morning. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Oh, both of you, yeah. What about for a camel to go through the eye of the needle? Literally or figuratively? Sell all of your possessions. Don't worry. Actually, that one is seriously and literally, right? Like, don't worry, Jesus says, about tomorrow, for it has enough problems of its own. But worry about today, he says. Because you can plan for the future, right? And you should plan for the future, but tomorrow has enough problems in and of its own and in and of itself. Jesus is serious about, serious about sin in our world, and he wants us to take what he says seriously. He talks about the power of faith in our lives, and he also mentions the dangers of materialism and greed and wealth. But he wants us to understand that when we turn the other cheek, When we love our enemies, when we do not resist an evil person, he's offering a very serious teachings on how we should and how we ought to live in the kingdom of God, but not to necessarily take it literally. He's not suggesting that we ignore crime and neglect justice, but he's talking about our all too real human tendency to demonize people that are different than us, to categorize them as evil when we don't agree with their actions. In ancient Judaism, there was this idea, and Jesus quotes it, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. And he quotes that in saying that because of your neighbors as a whole, those are the people who think and look and act and love and believe like you. But Jesus is saying those enemies, that you categorize them as evil, even though they don't look like you, even though they might be Jewish, but they don't believe exactly the same thing as you, don't consider them your enemy. Don't hate them. You should turn the other cheek. 
Don't be that way. Don't be so quick to judge anybody that is different than you because we have that all too human tendency to call what they do and call what they think as evil and we justify our behavior and we go the extra mile and then we do violence towards them. Jesus is condemning that. He's not condemning us in our understanding. It with, with Apostle Paul writes, don't repay evil with evil, but overcome evil by doing good. Martin Luther King continued on this idea of what Jesus has set up by saying, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, but only love can do that. Maybe that head usher at my home church was right. Perhaps being a Christian is fun. I guess it depends on your definition. When we put aside our own wills and our own wants and our own desires, and we we focus on the kingdom... Put the kingdom above all else. Yes, there will be times and instances when being a follower of Christ is hard. Especially when it goes against the grain. Especially when we can't understand why Jesus is calling us to go through these times and these situations. But Christ has given us a body of believers and Christ has given us a community of faith to rely on and rely in. To be transformed, to be changed from the outside in and the inside out. And when Christ says, focus on the kingdom before everything else, that is where true transformation happens. That is when our world and not only us and ourselves are changed and transformed. Amen? Amen. In a moment as we begin our prayer time, I want to invite you to think about That teaching of Jesus. And think about someone in your life, some situation, some circumstance in which you need to practice what Jesus has told you to do, right? Turn the other cheek to be the bigger person, to not fight back but fight forward. I want you to think about them and to understand that in the kingdom of God, that is what Jesus is calling us towards. Not anything else. Amen?